Heavenly Father, Lord, as we feel our souls lifted by your presence this morning, it just seems to pack us, Lord, in from glory to glory into your presence. And that's the reason we're here, Lord. You have anointed us in this eagle age, Lord, to be lifted up above sin, to be lifted up above our trials and our worries and our unbelief and Be lifted up into the presence of God where you could commune with us. Show us things that was and is and is to come. How our hearts rejoice, Lord, as we soar, dear God, the heavens with you. You are Papa Eagle, Lord. And you have called us out of the barnyard, out of the world. And Lord, it's a privilege to be soaring with you this morning. Dear God, we ask, Lord, as we gathered together by faith this morning Lord that your presence would come and energize us move in our midst Lord bless our hearts Lord with your presence and Father we pray Lord anything that we need Father that you'll provide for us and God when we leave here may we say it was good to be in the house of the Lord thank you Lord for all that has been done thus far we welcome you in this place and ask that you lead and govern every bit of it for your glory In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. How many are happy in the Lord this morning? Amen. I appreciate the Lord just being in the house of God together. Appreciate everyone bringing their licks of fire and your smiles and bringing your, your joy to the house of the Lord. We enter in through His gates with joy in our hearts and happiness that we're overcomers. And that, we, that, that it's already set, already predestinated to win. So that's what makes us happy. Amen. And there's an old sister used to sing back in Ohio, I sing because I'm happy. <laughs> and uh, she's gone on now, and she's probably dancing on the streets of gold, but it's something, you know, our licks of fire, we leave with one another. And you're important to each and everyone. I appreciated the song specials this morning, everyone putting their part in to make the service what it is. Let's turn in our Bibles if we can. To 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we, we got one service today, so we'll just, just pour our hearts into this one service, give it all that we got, and uh, I believe that we're going to be blessed by the Word of God. How many enjoy and love the Word of God? Amen. Don't ever lose your love for the Word of God. It, just keep it as your companion, your fellow. We should read it every day and uh, just feed upon it, and God is glorified in that. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 6, your glorying is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Now, Paul was just now speaking of a man that was living ungodly in the church and that he needed, he needed to be dealt with. And then he picks up on here, he said, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Verse 7, purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you're unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I want to preach this morning, keeping the feast in sincerity and in truth. May God bless the reading of his word. You can have your 
seats this morning. It must have been a strange, mysterious time for the children of Israel as they were gathering together in Exodus chapter 12. Thank you. Death was about ready to strike Egypt. And there must have been a dreadful feeling in the air as judgment was in the land and God had had enough and Egypt had re- received plague after plague of flies and of lice and of darkness. And, but this plague was going to be different than any other plague that had struck Egypt up to that time. And there must have been a dreadful feel, a nervousness or a tension in the air as the people, all of Israel, began to flock and move into Goshen, which was God's predestinated place for that time, they were quickly coming in. They were hurrying. They were restless. They were moving in a lot like the animals that moved into Noah's ark. There was some sort of pull. There was some sort of communication from God that they must get to safety because death was in the land. And this was not a time of joy and frolic, but rather a seriousness, a soberness as Israel began to gather their families into Goshen and to begin to pray. And you know, they had already saw the sign of God as God had promised Abraham 400 years prior that he would deliver him with a mighty hand. Now the move was on. The move was on the church of Israel. As they were gathering together, God had sent a prophet They had seen the pillar of fire appear among them. And the prophet begins to proclaim once the people gathered into Goshen that tonight will be a night of judgment. Tonight will be a night like no other night that you have seen for death is coming into Egypt and there will be no respect of persons from from Pharaoh down to the servant, whether it be prisons or palaces, There will be no respecter of persons for death is going to strike and I'm going to give you instruction how to escape the the death angel. I imagined Israel had listened real intently, very reverent. Might have been a gathering somewhat like this. As they gathered together, they probably could hear a pin drop as they were listening to the instruction of Moses. And he told them, Every one of you take a lamb, a lamb for a house. And he said, I want you to lay your hands upon that lamb and everyone will witness the death of the lamb. Whether you be a child or a son or an old woman or the father of the house, the elders, they would take this lamb and they would inspect it and all Israel would witness its death. This was a type of Christ as Christ had went up before Pilate and Pilate said, I can find no fault in him. Then he went to Herod and Herod could not find fault in him. And then you find the false accusers could not find fault with him. He was inspected. And when he said he is, uh, there is no fault found in him, it was then that he was publicly killed before all Israel. And so that night, Moses had put in charge over every home, the father of every home of Israel. We find that the father was, as it were, the priest of the home. And neighbors were laughing and and people were making a mock of this strange religion of Israel. But they were believers. And there wasn't enough laughing in the world to, 
to make them disbelieve the message that their prophet had brought vindicated by a pillar of fire. For death was in the land and it was a reality and faith had looked out and saw it coming. So as they begin to lay their hands upon the lamb and, and the sins of the people were transferred upon the lamb and they killed it publicly and everyone recognized something had to die that death would pass over. Something had to pay the price of sin and that lamb is paying our price. God said we're not secret believers but I want you to take hyssop and apply it over your door. I want all Egypt to know you are redeemed. You are under the blood. You are a believer in the redeeming power of the blood. Imagine how everyone must have felt as they went into the house. The believers were satisfied as they were sealed knowing death could not touch them. Brother Branham said angry clouds began to move up over the horizon. And he said as it just to make a little illustration, he said some Egyptians were coming home from a dance and they were moving the chariots real hard and there was a funny strange as the winds began to twist begin to move around. Darkness began to came, come in and the wind began to blow. Began to blow real hard. There was something coming. As they began to big roar through the land, the children in the Jewish homes began to shake. And the oldest son said, Father, are you sure that we are ready to meet this hour? Are you positive that we have done everything? Are we going to miss this judgment? Are you sure, Dad? What is that roaring of the wind? What is the shaking of Egypt? He said, my son, the judgments have begun. Do you love the Lord? That's where we are now. He said, Daddy, are you sure? And he looks out the window and he sees some sort of dark thing with wings begin to come over the palaces of Egypt and begin to move over that somewhat sacred or pagan city. And death was striking. And Brother Branham said, as that little boy was watching out the window, he sees it swoop over the church that was in Egypt and the priests fall dead and the people are screaming. There was no blood on that temple. Then it moved to another house and another woman comes running out the door. There was no blood there. Brother Branham said this same thing is happening in the spiritual. And he said, Daddy, are you sure? It's coming this way. Are you sure that we have met Jehovah's requirements? He said that priest of the home wasn't worried, wasn't sweating. He said he was just as sturdy and just as strong and said, my son, we have heard the prophet. We have believed the prophet. You are safe and sound. You are under the blood. We have met his requirements. We have followed the word of God. Son, you are safe and we're resting on thus saith the Lord. He said, all of a sudden the angel started coming towards the house and up it went and over. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Ichabod was written over Egypt. Ichabod was written over every house that didn't have blood on it. What separated Israel from Egypt was the blood.
How many believe in the blood? How many believe there's wonder-working power in the blood? How many believe in the old-time religion? Believe in the Bible, believing in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is the third exodus. And history is repeating itself again. They ate the lamb. Not only did they put the blood over the door, but they went inside and they began to eat the lamb in haste. And that represented one lamb, a lamb for a house. And what it represented is God has provided one lamb for the earth. One lamb for Africa, one lamb for Japan, one lamb for America, one lamb for the human race. God became a man, God became a lamb. And he said, now eat it with haste, eat it with bitter herbs. Who is our lamb but the word? We are in the house sealed by the blood, eating the word of God. We eat it with bitter herbs because it don't all taste good. The Bible said that he eat the book and it tasted bitter in his stomach. There's things that maybe we have to cope with, but he said eat all of the lamb. Don't leave it left over. This is the hour that we're living. We believe every bit of the word of God. It is upon that lamb with bitter herbs that gave him strength for the journey. What a time it was. How free they must have felt as they're walking out of Egypt and dead corpses are laying in the streets and they're stepping over them and to know that God would not touch them because they were under the blood of the Lamb. What a joy, what a happiness. What will it feel like when we see our dead loved ones? What will it be like when we leave this earth in a, in, in a, in a streak of glory? After this took place, we don't know how many hours it took place, but it was such a night that God said, now you will make a remembrance, a memorial of this night. You will remember it all through your generations. Israel was commanded to remember the blood. They were commanded to remember the protection of the blood and the, the price that was paid. Because it was the blood that kept them alive. It was the blood that kept death off of them. It was the blood that kept them in victory. And it was to be remembered through all ages. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. They didn't celebrate that until they came into the land. That was the commandment. When you come into the land, I want you to remember this day. And so the priests would begin to teach people what took place on that night. Begin to show them what happened. And no doubt the kids listened very carefully. And he would teach them to remember the commandment of God forever. Don't ever let this go from you. There are certain elements that must never be forgotten. There there are certain things here, truths, that will never be forgotten. That God provided by his grace of blood to spare us. No matter what kind of revivals come or go or movements come and go. Always remember the blood and what it done for you. Brother Branham said I can imagine through the Old Testament as they. Back in the Old Testament he said they recognized without the blood there was no fellowship with God. 
and how the worshiper would go to his flock and he would take his time and watch over these sheep and watch over the flock and he would study it no doubt for days and weeks and months and he'd be fattening up his animal knowing that he was going to the temple to remember the Passover. And so he would select his animal and it wasn't infected or weak, but he was looking for the best because God deserves our best. He deserves the best of our singing, the best of our lives. Don't wait till you get old to give your heart to God. Give him your life, give him your strength, give him your best. How many can say amen? They were looking to give God their best. They would pick him out and, oh, that's a nice lamb. That's choice. And that's not for you. That's for Jehovah. I remember what he done for them on the night of the Passover. And he says, so the worshiper would select the, the best of his flock. And the animal had to be examined like Jesus was examined. And the worshiper, Brother Branham said, I can see him coming down the road with his lamb. And he's not just distracted by every turn, but rather he has a sober look on his face because he's coming to connect himself with this sacrifice. He goes to the priest and the priest inspects the lamb. He looks it all over and says, it's a worthy lamb. He lay his hands on that lamb. And as he'd say, Lord, forgive me. I've done wrong. I've lived wrong. And I know I broke your commandment. But I remember what you did for them at Passover. And I'm laying my hands on that lamb. And I want to thank you that you let this lamb be my substitute so I don't have to burn in hell. So my unworthiness don't stand before you. And I'm laying my hands on this lamb. And then the priest would cut its throat. He would watch the cruelty of death upon an innocent victim. And it was sin that done it. But when he left, Brother Branham said, he left differently. He didn't come soberly or heavy. He actually left light and happy because he obeyed Jehovah's commandment. And he was justified by faith by meeting Jehovah's requirement. Hallelujah. What a time of worship. How God, it must have just blessed God's heart to see these sincere worshipers keeping the feast. But Brother Branham said, by and by, something began to change. He said the sincere worshiper that once was so dedicated, so sincere, come back around and You know, it's kind of inconvenient timing to go up to the temple for Passover, but we got to go because this is Jehovah's requirements. And he comes, which one do you want? Just pick one. But which one? Just, I said, just pick one. These are all good. Here, he's walking down the road and Brother Benham said he had a different kind of attitude, different kind of countenance. He said he comes and brings it to the priest and looking around at the temple. Hey, John, and and, uh, hey there, Benjamin. Uh, Levi, how you doing? Uh, It's good. uh, Lay your hand on it and he kills it. And uh, hey there, how are you from? And he said, now 
The worship has become a family tradition. He said, what happened now between the two? Because now as time takes its course, the attitude changes. It's the same believer going down the same road to the same temple, but obeying the same command, carrying the same sacrifice, but the only thing different is his attitude. He has become traditional in his approach to God. It was the correct sacrifice. And that correct sacrifice was an abomination to God. Israel lost its heartfelt love and sincerity. They stayed with an order. But the attitude was detestable to God. It was the right temple. It was the right sacrifice. It was the right commandment. But it was the wrong attitude. And God rejected it. There's many scriptures speaking of it. I don't have time to go through it. And you'll find it in in Isaiah 1 and Malachi 3 and many different places in the Bible. And then Brother Branham said, I was amazed as I was watching television to bring it up to date. He said, Billy Graham made an altar call. Thousands were coming down to the altar. He said they were chewing gum. They were laughing and punching each other. And he said, that's not walking between life and death. That's not realizing that your soul is actually hanging over hell. That we are literally living in the dreadful day of the Lord. And the judgments of God is over this land like it was Egypt. See, they were sincere at the beginning. Brother Benham shows, look at the organizations. Their attitude is not pleasing to God. Watch Azusa Street. How those men fought and preached and were rejected. F.F. Bosworth was beaten very badly because he was actually worshiping with black people. He was beaten terribly. There was a price for those preachers. They preached the power of the Holy Ghost. They preached speaking in tongues. They were outcast to society. These were warriors, pioneers of the faith. But just give Pentecost a little time. And the nature of the Pentecostal movement began to change altogether. Pretty soon there was a laughing and a a carrying on. Just their sacrifices. Brother Benham said, be careful, Pentecost. Your sacrifices and rejoicing will be a stink in the nostrils of God if it isn't entered into in the deepest of sincerity. Laughing and carrying on. And he said, you've got to hold to the altar till something happens. No matter how fundamental, you must come with sincerity. Do you love the Lord? I want you to think of this now. Is God rich in mercy? always provides an atonement for someone that wants life. Aren't you happy about that? God has not forsook us, but he always makes a way for someone who is sincere. There came a time in Israel that they become disgruntled with Moses and the way. I mean, they were on their way to the promised land, a lot like the church today. And they become discouraged because of the hardships and the disappointments. And we should have been there already. And they got an attitude. 
Now there's no water to drink. Is Moses the prophet that we thought he was? They begin to murmur. And they murmured against God and Moses. And God sent fiery serpents to bite them. And they begin to drop like flies. And let me tell you, when you're facing death face to face, that's when you get serious. They had an attitude adjustment real quick. And they begin to cry to Moses, pray to God, take away this plague of serpents. Moses said, Lord, what do I do? He said, make you a brass serpent. Put it up on a pole. And it's a type of Christ. Christ was put up on a cross. And he said, what do they got to touch it? Do they got to do penance? What do they got to do? All they got to do is look and live. See, they should have died. But God gave them an atonement, lifted it up, and said, this is divine judgment. That's the judgment that belonged to you. All you got to do is look and be healed and be free and live. I imagine after seeing mommy die and grandpa die and the kids die, when they had an opportunity, they were pushing through the crowd to get to church. I imagine they had sincerity when they looked at the cross and they're dying and you're pulling mom. Mom's dying. She looks and all of a sudden, honey, my breath is back. Honey, stand out of the way. I need to make supper. You can imagine the healing power that ripped through the congregation of Israel as they looked and lived. You talk about a revival. But by and by, that great healing campaign became an idol. Hundreds of years later, the days of Hezekiah, the Bible said they were worshiping the brass serpent. And he had to destroy it. Brother Benham said, see, they looked at it as an idol. And it became an idol to them by the way that they looked at it. Brother Branham said that's exactly what happened in the church ages. That they made an idol out of Luther's revival. They made an idol out of Wesley's revival. They made an idol out of the Pentecostal revival. And God forbid that we ever make an idol out of the message of the hour. Looking at it as something that was. and I'm just joining church or I'm a part of the crowd. Let me tell you this message is the life of God. The token power. It was the way that they looked at it. It was their attitudes that made the difference. Brother Branham said God promised to meet Israel as long as they kept the solemn feast with sacredness and sincerity and then God would meet them. But when they just went to making it a family ritual, he refused it. It stunk. It's the same way today. Unless we get back to the truth of the thing. It's actually the cycle of revival and death. Brother Branham said you watch in the beginning of a revival. Those people leave their dead churches. Go into homes rejected. He said the power of God changes their life. They become witnesses of the power of the resurrection. They're singing it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether they're rejected or what they're in. They are so happy to be called Christians. He said, but after a while, by and by, 
He said they lose that original excitement of coming to church. He said they begin to change the way they dress and what they feed on, what they read. And he said they put a choir in instead of singing to God for themselves. And he said they push the spirit out and they lead it by counselors and men and death sets in. Do you love the Lord? See, what happens is it's left with a form and and a tradition is left with the form of it, but the life of God is not there. Actually, salvation is not there. God is not there. Ichabod is over it. It looks like it did 50 years ago, but it's not altogether the same. It's left with the form of godliness, but they begin to deny the power thereof. Brother Branham said, actually what happens when we become traditional is we go through the routine without faith at all. There's no faith involved at all. We just come in, do our service, go out. We're a part of this this little group of people. But Brother Branham said it becomes a meaningless gathering of people. When our worship becomes a family tradition, Brother Branham said we have lost our sincerity. Something is wrong coming out of all things 1962. Our solemn feast is not what it used to be. There's something or other. He said you can't even stay awake in a sermon. He said, what's more important than the word of God? The street meetings, the old-fashioned preachers that would preach till blood and sweat, as it were, would run down into their shoes. But now there is no interest in the word. He said, it takes the preaching of the cross. It takes a circumcision of the spirit to bring life. But the sincerity has gone away. He said, there is a lack of interest Men and women have lost their enthusiasm and we'll never get back until we come to that spot of appreciation of God because he made a way for us and he has vindicated it and he's given us assurance. See, when we take God's commandment and make a tradition out of it, then we don't get the results of it because traditions cut the power of God. Jesus said, in vain do you worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. And it right. And so Brother Benham said, now we must enter the feast of God with sincerity. But there's no godly sorrow for sin. Just watch the nature of a revival. And, and watch the Pentecostals. He said, now they'll have their services, big meetings, They'll speak in tongues and run down the aisles. But there isn't the feeling or the sincerity that Jesus Christ has cleansed you. He said, notice, not doing it because Miss Jones did it, but doing it because there's something pulsating, the sorrow for your sins, the joy of the victory that you share in the resurrection of your sacrifice, the evidence of your eternal security. How can you not be sincere in that? This is when Isaiah ran up and began to rebuke the age because they had a form of godliness. God hates a powerless religion. Any religion that don't have Christ in it is powerless. Any religion that don't have the blood in it is powerless. And it becomes lukewarm. 
which is the danger of the age. If you watch, Brother Branham, if you study this, worshiper, sacrifice, coming down the road, he repeats it over and over, and even in his last service of communion, and, and what a fitting, what a fitting picture this morning. His last service was communion, which was Passover. And he begins to tell this story. And he begins to explain to the people that God requires sincerity. You know, in 1947, Brother Branham started out in his healing campaigns. I mean, he, God turned Arkansas upside down, the things that took place, and so on and so forth. But Brother Branham had learning to do too. And uh, in 1947, he made a challenge. You bring your worst case, and I will pray. And by the time I am done, they will walk out of here whole. What a challenge. They brought this Mexican girl up. She was a crippled girl, horribly crippled. And Brother Brandon began praying for her. And he prayed 10 minutes. He prayed 20 minutes. He prayed half hour. He prayed 45 minutes. And the people were waiting. He prayed an hour. He prayed an hour and 15 minutes. He prayed an hour and 30 minutes. And after an hour and 45 minutes of praying, this child, the power of God struck her and she stood up and walked off completely healed. Amen. He did the same thing with a 15-year-old board, a boy born blind. How in the world did he have that kind of bulldog faith? To stay there under the pressure of the people that are waiting their turn and to pray and to pray and not move back because the angel told him, if you can be sincere and when you pray and get the people to believe nothing will stand before your prayer, not even cancer. Brother Brennan believed that. And it didn't matter how bad the situation. And he said, God, now God corrected him in that and said, you're going to make it to the people can't believe unless they see a miracle. Don't do that. You're putting too much emphasis on that. So God corrected him, but he said, God respects sincerity. How many can say amen? Then the angel told him this. Furthermore, he said, there is a change in the ministry coming because the angel said, if you can be sincere, it'll come to pass that you will even know the secret of the heart. And then he said, if you will continue to be sincere, and be humble, it'll grow greater and greater. And he said, and it'll move into what we know is the third pole. So the angel told him to get the people to believe, believe and be sincere. Nothing would stand before his prayer. And if he would be sincere, he would discern the thoughts of the heart. And if he would continue to be sincere, it'll move up into what we know is the third pole. Can you say amen? But sincerity was the road that got him there. November 21st, 1961, Brother Branham is up about three in the morning. He sees a vision, and he's coming down the Jordan. And he was standing on the map of Palestine, and he said, I could see he was coming down the Jordan. He heard the song, you know the vision very well. He said, I was two-thirds of the way to Jordan. And he looked across Jordan and said, praise God, just beyond there lays every promise. And the vision left him. And then all of a sudden the vision returned to him. 
And it's amazing because both of these visions overlay. They're related. And he said all of a sudden he was back in the vision again. And he said it seemed like something lifted him up and set him on a highway, narrow highway. And he said he saw a man that was his brother he knew. And he said it seemed like everyone was afraid. And what's everyone so afraid of? And a voice came and said there's a danger in these days. It's a hideous thing. It's death when it strikes you. And I heard the weeds mashing down and a huge monster snake coming up out of the weeds. And he said, when I saw him, it was a mamba. And Brother Branham said, now, you know, there are rattlesnakes and moccasins and all kinds of poisonous cobras. But the mamba is the most poisonous of them all. And he said, mamba represents death. And he said, he's so fast, you can't see him. He goes over the weeds. When he strikes, he usually strikes you in the face, and he hits hard. So where the devil likes to strike you too. And he said, he stands up. you got a couple breaths, and you are dead. And he said, now he looked at Brother Branham, and he was angry, but he couldn't come to Brother Branham in the vision. So he took off to strike Brother Branham's brother. Brother Branham started screaming, God, if that mamba ever hits him, it's death, and that's why everyone is so scared. It's death, and a voice came from above and said, you have been given power to bind him, the worst of any. He said, but there's one thing you must do. You must be more sincere. And I said, Lord, forgive me. Of my unsincerity. Let me have sincerity. And I raised up my hands. And there was a great something that come over me. Lifted me up. Seemed like my whole body was charged with something. And I looked at that serpent. And it started towards me. I said Satan in the name of Jesus Christ. I bind you. And you know how he wrapped up. And he made the sign of an and. And he said he was bound. That and. And he said and the brother was set free. And he said, I went over and mashed on him. And he said, and the spirit told him, you have the power to unbind him too. And he said, that I might know. He said, I unbind you in the name of Jesus Christ. And it began to move. And he said, I bind you back in the name of Jesus Christ. And he, and he died again. And then the voice returned. And the voice said, now you must be more sincere than, you, than what you are to do this. Brother Branham comes out of the vision. That was three in the morning, I believe, when the vision started. He wakes up, so he was in this vision for a long time. Kids are milling around. Mommy, where's my books? And he said, you know how it is in your house when the kids are getting ready for school. He went into his den room. He said, Lord, while your presence is here, would you speak to me? Give me understanding. Help me to know what I must do. And he said, forgive me for doing this. And he grabbed his Bible, and he just opened it. And when he did, it fell to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, let us keep the feast in sincerity and in truth. And Brother Benham said, see, the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, which is the word of God. And so now he's binding the power of Satan, but God tells him you must be more sincere. 
Let me tell you something. Brother Branham had an eight-day prayer line where he pushed himself beyond his, his human frame and he was off the field for almost a year. He pushed himself so hard. He prayed and he fasted regularly. He left his family to, and Mita took care of the kids and he pushed and he preached and he delivered and people were healed. He was rejected for his uncompromising stand and God said, you must be more sincere. How many say, Lord, I don't want to wait till the end of the service. Start right now. I want to be more sincere. We all can be more sincere when it comes to the word of this hour. The word sincerity means being in reality what it appears to be and not simulated. Real, not pretend. But what it appears to be, there's reality behind it. How many say, Lord, yes, let me be sincere. See, sincerity moves the heart of God. Sincerity, God only accepts worship that is connected with sincerity. And Brother Brenham said, listen to this, write it down if you want. Sincerity brings power and real worship. Genuine power to worship that you have passed from death unto life because God wants to perform his word in power. Ain't that right? God wants to operate through his church. God wants sincerity. Sincerity in our churches. Sincerity in our kitchens. Sincerity as parents. Sincerity in our school. God wants sincerity. He wants us to be sincere about the message that we believe. God wants the depths of our heart. He wants our mind, our spirit, our time, our time, our time. He wants your full attention. He wants my full attention. Do you love the Lord? Brother Branham said we must come to God in reverence and purity, pureness of mind and spirit, in love, without hypocrisy. He said this in communion service. He said, notice, come with the deepness of sincerity, knowing that God's grace, we have been saved. We have felt his presence, it's changed our whole being. We must come in reverence and love and purity of heart and mind and soul. And you know the hour will soon arise, right among us, that the Holy Spirit will speak out like it did in Ananias and Sapphira. Remember, the hour is arriving that God will dwell among his people and that's what he wants to do now. That was his last message. He said that before he left. Talking about sincerity. Brother Branham is actually on a plane and he's traveling. He left Dallas and he's flying back home. And while he's flying... An air traffic controller radios the airplane pilot. Air traffic control. Ground the plane. Rerouting, rerouting. Storm coming in. We want you to land the plane right away until the storm is over. Massive storm is moving into the area. They probably didn't expect it all of a sudden, a change of plans and 
moves the plane down to the destination that they were told to go, makes an emergency landing right in Memphis, Tennessee. And it was exactly where they needed to land. The airplane pilots didn't know what was happening. Even Brother Branham didn't know what was happening. They said, we're going to put you in the Peabody Motel and get your good night's rest and we'll fly out of here in the morning. All right, sounds good. He goes on to the Peabody Motel and little did they know, it wasn't the storm that grounded the plane. It was a little black woman with a man's shirt wrapped around her head. Lord, where's my Elijah? You gave me a baby. I'm the Shunammite woman, but Lord... Where's your Elijah? Dear God, save my baby. Dear God, save my household. Dear God, where's my Elijah? She couldn't read or write. Just a little outcast woman, a little wash woman in an insignificant part of Memphis was calling out to her God in sincerity. And that God turned that plane around and grounded that plane. You want to talk about sincerity. We ain't got to be the most popular person on the block. We ain't got to be seen by anything. But sincerity reached the heart of God. There's no doubt Brother Branham wanted to get home to his family. But that sincerity trumped Brother Branham's desire. I need Elijah. God said, honey, I'm sending him to you. Turn that plane around. Hallelujah. Brother Branham sleeps. And that night, this little Jemima woman is sincere. Save my baby. She's travailing. Brother Branham, go to sleep. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. No doubt he's resting good. Go to sleep. Meanwhile, in this part of Memphis, this little woman is saying, Lord, where's my Elijah? God saved my baby. Brother Branham gets up. Oh, it's time. I'm going to miss my flight. Dropping something off at the mailbox. And then the spirit said, stop where you are. Yes, Lord. Your servant's here. Start walking. Where am I going? Start walking. Lord, I'm going to miss my flight. Keep walking. Lord, I don't know where I'm at. Keep walking. I'm so glad to say I'm one of them. One of them, I'm one of them. And all of a sudden, he sees a woman standing there in the gate and dews on her back where she had been sincerely praying all night. Morning, Possum. Morning, Auntie. Then he stops. I love the way it threw him for a number. He used to do that to others, but this is now is happening back to him. Wait a minute. Auntie, how did you know I was a parson? I knowed you were coming. I've been waiting out here since four in the morning. Yeah. Hallelujah. That wasn't no five minute prayer and get up. She travailed in sincerity until God sent her Elijah. I know you are coming. Auntie, have you ever heard of me? Did you ever hear my meetings in Arkansas and hear about the success of my... No, I don't want to hear about no healing. I want the salvation of my boy. She said, you're supposed to be carrying a bag. He said, I left it at the Peabody Motel. Man. She said, would you come in? 
He said, I've been in the king's palaces. He said, but I was never in a home like, God bless our home. Walked up to, you know the story, walked up to the big old boy laying on that bed, got around the wrong crowd. And she said, he thinks he's lost at sea. Parsons, will you pray that God will save us all? She was not interested in healing. That was not what she prayed. She was praying for his salvation. Just, I just want to know that he's saved and I can say goodbye. Brother Brandon said, Auntie, will you pray? He said, when she began to pray, goosebumps went all over him. He said, I know she'd talked to him before. She was sincere in her worship. She was sincere in her prayer. Her prayer life. God help us. He said, she come out of that prayer, tears rolling down, them fat cheeks kissed him. God bless my baby. Brother Branham said, that's the kind of love. She said, will you pray? He said, Lord, I'm missing my plane out here. You know all about it. I'm praying for this boy. I believe this is where you sent me. Oh, mama, it's getting light in the room. He said, before I left, she was sitting up in bed. I'm late. I'm late. He's running down the street. I'm late. I'm going to be late. He gets in a taxi. He gets his bag. He rolls into the airport. Last call, Jeffersonville, Indiana. God held that plane down because of sincere prayer of an insignificant woman that we know nothing else about. We don't know if she knew anything about the seals. Did she accept baptism in Jesus Christ tonight? We don't know all that. But God knew her because she was sincere when she said, God, send me my Elijah. Hallelujah. Not only did he ground the plane, he held it there until the work was done. Then he sent him off. A year later, he said he jumped off of a off of a train coach. He said to get him a hamburger. Passing Branham. He said, yes, sir. He said, do you know me? He said, I don't know you, son. Well, uh, who are you? He said, you prayed for me about a year ago. He said, got around the wrong crowd. You come to God sent you my house. You prayed. You're not the boys I show is. He said, Parson, not only am I healed, I'm saved, Parson. He gives us exceedingly abundantly all that we could ask or think. Not just saved, but healed and saved and blessed. And God let him hear the rest of the story as it was. How many say, Lord, let me be uh, sincere in my prayer life. Brother Branham says, see, when you see a servant of God so sincere until he's on his face with his hands in the air praying to God and blushing because of the iniquity of the people, you are going to see a revival start. A man cannot lay in the presence of God. A church cannot stay in the presence of God under repentance unless the Holy Spirit comes down and gives unction and power and starts a move of God in there among the people. It's got to be. Show me a man. Show me a Calvin, a Knox, a Finney, a Sankey. Those who feel the burden of the people that will lay on their face and cry and pray before God. Send us a John Smith of the Baptist church who prayed all night for the iniquity of the people until his eyes would be swelled out. 
sat the next morning weeping till his wife would lead him to a table and feed him his breakfast out of a spoon. My dear brother, he said, the morals of this nation has went into apostasy because of a lack of prayer. He said, we've adopted education in place of salvation and what we need is a revival. He said, we need to come back to an old-fashioned gospel and a call for repentance before God. Not a dried-eyed hand shook profession, but a God-sent Holy Ghost revival with a profession of the cleansing blood of the Lord Jesus in every heart. We need a revival to start in the church that will sweep the nation and we'll die, we'll perish without that type of revival. We need the blood of Jesus Christ. We need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We need prayer in our homes. That ain't preaching down to you. That's preaching up to you. If Brother Branham had to be more sincere, how much do you and I got to be more sincere to meet the hour that we're living? My son Josiah had a terrible stomachache just the other day. And uh, Anna called me. I was studying here at the church. She said, honey, he's, he's cramping so bad he's crying. And my little man, it takes a lot to make him cry. He's got to really be hurting to cry. So I said, I'm coming home. And so I drove home and he was laying down. I said, come up stairs with me. Came and I held him and I prayed with him for a while. And uh, we prayed. And I said, honey, is there anything you got to make right? Is there anything that you know? Maybe you've done something wrong. And I read the scripture out of James. If, if you call the elders of the church, anointing them with oil, confessing, he says that there, there will be healing. Follow he said, not that I can think of, Dad. And I said, okay. Well, I'm going to anoint you with oil then, and we're going to pray. And we prayed. And when we prayed, it kicked up worse than ever. And I said, nope. This is God's word. Just believe God. And he kept repeating, by his stripes I'm healed. By his stripes I'm healed. By his stripes I'm healed. And it got worse. I said, he's got to go. I said, it'll get worse before it gets better. But by his stripes. And then it let up, and he was absolutely healed. God loves a little determination. God help us all to be determined. You know, Brother Branham said that in the days of Charles Finney, he said there was a man with TB who was, had a burden for the cities, and he began praying for the cities in that New York area. And Brother Branham said that he travailed in his soul, and when he died, Finney went to about 30 different cities, and revival struck 30 different cities. And he said it was because this man's prayer, he met his widow and the widow showed him all the cities and the revival happened in every one of those cities. And Brother Branham said one man travailing in prayer brought more revival than all the schools in the land, all the theology that it could bring. One person with sincere prayer can bring the power of God down in our lives. Amen. The devil must move. God is looking for a church that will love him and sincerely follow him. Touch him. You love the Lord. As we see that day approaching, he said, come together even the more. Listen to what he says about laying in the presence of the sun. He said, now we're plenty green. We have to lay in the presence of the sun to be mellowed up. We're plenty green. We haven't got the sincerity and sacredness of the thing that we ought to have in the midst. Wow. Now, sincerity is wonderful. 
but it's not enough. Brother Branham said I, he had been over to India, and I've seen actually video footage of it. Jonathan Martin showed me a video of these Indians. They will go into a trance, and they'll start running flesh hooks all over their body, head to toe. And then they'll put them in their back and all from head to toe, and they're in a trance. You can see something has came into them. Demon power has come into them. Then they'll begin to hang bowls of water from these flesh hooks. Then they hook a wagon to their back and they'll go uphill for miles pulling their skin, pulling back like this as they're pulling wagons. And these are sincere people. They'll break little oriental children's feet and stick them in tiny little shoes and they suffer with that. They try to appease God throwing babies to crocodiles and and walking on coals and running lances through their bodies laying on glass and all kinds of men walking through fire and sincerity of the heathen. But Brother Branham said they are sincere but sincerely wrong. See, Cain was sincere in what he was doing but he was sincerely wrong. The priest of Baal, when they caught themselves, believed that they were right, but they were sincerely wrong. It doesn't take just sincerity, but the Bible said we must worship him in sincerity and in truth. We have got to be sincere in the right thing. We have got to be sincere about the blood, about the new birth, about Christ. And the message of Malachi 4 was to bring us back to the hearts of sincerity. Can you say amen? How many knows we're in the third exodus? In the first exodus, Brother Branham said they were called out of that formal tradition religion. Out. God called a nation out of a nation. And he said that when Christ came, they had a lack of sincerity. They honored him with their mouths, but their hearts was far from them. And he said that exodus was to call them out of their formal traditions of Judaism and call them into the literal reality of Christ. And now we are in the third exodus. And there is a calling out of the Laodicean, lukewarm, denominational, traditional uh, traditions of organization. Brother Branham said that the message of Malachi 4 was to call us out of organization into the genuine atonement. Can you say amen? amen? The difference between Egypt and Israel was one thing. The blood. You say, well, God was the difference. That's right. But God was in the commandment of the blood. Because without blood, there's no remission of sin or access to God. So the difference between Egypt and Israel was the blood. After the opening of the seals, Brother Branham was coming down to Jordan. And I don't have the time to go back to Joshua and tell you, but in Joshua, he warns the people before he dies to stay in this land and worship God, not the idols of your fathers, but worship God in in sincerity and truth. So when they went into the promised land, They were to worship in that promised land in sincerity and in truth. And so Brother Branham brings the opening of the word and then he preaches a message token and then he preaches desperations that night. And Brother Branham said the token message was the capping off of his entire ministry outside the regular commission of the seals. 
The token message, he said, capped off the whole thing. And he said, they were eating in desperation. They knew that the judgment, bear with me, can I go just a little further? They were eating in desperation. It must have been a dreadful time, just as it is now. Every man was examining himself. Because your children's salvation is hinged on what you do with your household. The high priest of the home. Brother Branham repeats this theme many times. He said that we as the head of the home are responsible, a lamb for a house. And he said they had to, it was a time of desperation, judgment was about to strike. And they were examining themselves, uh, are we ready to meet the hour that we live? The young man, daddy, are you sure death is about to strike? Brother Branham's teaching us in desperations. He said if there's ever a time in human history that the church ought to be desperate, it ought to be right now as we're on the threshold of the judgment. Remember, they were in the house. They were eating the lamb. They were eating the whole word. Do you love the Lord? They were fellowshipping around the lamb, the sacrificed lamb. They were dressed. They had their shoes on their feet. They were ready to go at any time that the trumpet sounded. And this world is just like a funeral. We, this, I mean, when you go to a funeral, it's not a laughing time. It's a solemn time. And you realize the last plague that struck Egypt was spiritual death. And it was a, it was a time, a solemn time. We're living at the end of the world. Every sign is there. Israel is a nation. The world is falling apart. It's like a funeral for the world and for the churches. It is a time of solemn. Death is in the land. We have just like Egypt. We have come under the plagues of Egypt before death struck. We have had wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and typhoons and plagues have struck the earth. But the last plague is spiritual death. That is the beginning of sorrows. But the last plague is spiritual death. You can imagine as it begins to move into the land. And it begins to strike the holy places like the temples. And let me tell you, it's even striking the churches. It'll strike where no blood is Wherever there's no blood, death is going to strike. Separation from God, Ichabod, will come upon anywhere where there is no blood. You can have doctrine, you can have Bibles, you can have church pews, you can have churches. But when I see the blood, that is the separating factor. Spiritual death is striking the earth now. There are churches on every corner. There is more money in this world to push the gospel than ever before and less is getting done. There are churches on every corner and the world is getting more worldly. It is getting more immoral because Ichabod, where are the revivals? The last plague is spiritual death where people lose all sight of anything spiritual and it begins to plague the churches and plague the people and plague the homes. You know, Brother Branham said, 
that the last, the third pole of Moses' ministry was the death angel. That's what he said. Anything that didn't have the blood came under death and the wrath of God was upon it. Here we are. This is the reality of what that was. That was only a shadow of this time right now. And do you realize that this world is going to burn by atomic fire? I imagine when they read that in the Bible and Malachi 4, the earth shall burn. The righteous will walk upon the ashes of the wicked. How is this possible? But within the last hundred years, science have made atomic bombs that can cause a chain reaction and leave this earth toast. Only now is it possible. So men are working in their labs because they know it's inevitable. It's just a matter of time. Do you know that there's more power on, on a battleship? There's enough weaponry on one battleship to destroy the world over? The entire earth. There's enough. They said if there's ever a World War III, there will be no historians. There will be no documentation of it. He said because there won't be a world left and they know it. Do you know that if God did not destroy the earth, he'd have to raise Sodom and Gomorrah up to apologize because this world has stooped lower in morals than Sodom and Gomorrah? And Jesus said, as it was in the days of Sodom, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man? Do you know that there is no security in our bank accounts, in our governments, in our, in even in our military, even our own White House? Whoever would have guessed that we would see the things that we are seeing in this nation. Our security is not in anything of this world. Our security is in this Bible. Our security is in Christ. And I imagine we feel a lot like the Israelites felt when death was coming in. And the prophet said, this is it. It is the evening time message. The only escape out of this world is the blood. The only escape out of this world is this laughed at gospel. Lay our hands and feel the bruising and the cruel punishment of Calvary and transfer our sins upon him. He transfers his righteousness upon us with feeling. With real earnest prayer, Lord, I deserve this judgment. But by your grace, you provided me a lamb. He said, I want you to go in your house and I want you to stay under the blood until I call you. Let me tell you, any message that leaves the blood is not the message of God. Stay under the blood. Stay with the Holy Ghost. Stay with the gospel. Imagine as they shut the door and we're looking out and we're seeing Russia rise to power just waiting opportunity trying to take over the Middle East. Israel is being pressed in by its enemies. All the Bibles is being fulfilled and we look out the window and we see that churches are not producing converts. They're producing something that don't even look like the gospel. And we know this is the dreadful day of the Lord. And we know what lays ahead. We know the sinking of Los Angeles. 
We know that America is going to be blowed off the map according to prophecy. We know that the Vatican will be blowed off the map according to Revelations 18. And we're looking out the window and we are seeing the churches being struck by spiritual death. We are seeing people that look like zombies. Look like walking dead people. The soul that lives in pleasure is dead yet while they live. People are walking dead people. Spiritual death is striking the churches, the schools, the political minds. What are they thinking? Letting boys in the girls' bathroom. Spiritual death have struck and numbed their minds. Insanity. And our children are watching out the window and we're seeing judgment is on its way. And they look at us fathers. Daddy, are you sure? That this message is right. Are you sure that we're under the blood? Boy, it puts us high priests of the home in a real place of responsibility. Daddy, are you sure as we hear the roar of the judgments coming closer and closer and we see a a, a church with no blood and it scatters and a temple without blood and it scatters. Lord, are you sure? Daddy, are you sure? We have met all the requirements. You know, in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was connected to the Passover, they had to get all the leaven out of their house. That was part of the Passover. And history says they would take a candle and they would go through the house and they even made a tradition with their children that they would hide leaven and the children would open up the cupboards and make, lift up all the plates and make sure all the leaven was out. And all the children were searching every corner of the house All the children were just making sure that every bit of it, it had to be gone or the blood didn't didn't take effect. All the worldliness had to be gone. All the leaven had to be pushed out. And that was a shadow of right now. Because he said there in 1 Corinthians 5 that we ought to take this feast of unleavened bread, of sincerity and truth. It's a time that we examine ourselves. Brother Branham said in the token message, kick the television out. Kick the short skirts out. Kick the makeup out. Kick all the ungodliness out. All the earrings and the cigarettes. Everything that's causing you problems. Get the unbelief out of your house. And only you know what's in your closet. Young people, only you know what's under your bed. We're talking about life and death and sincerity. You know if you're trimming your hair, going to school, changing in the bathroom and wearing britches. We ought to be doing exactly what the prophet said. He said, let's clean this place up around here. Brother Branham said, what we need is a house cleaning. What we need when I talk about a house cleaning, I'm talking about this house. We need to clean our minds and our hearts and our spirits. Our thoughts got to be clean. This will cause a revival. I imagine that they weren't apprehensive in the first exodus. I really don't want to throw this out. Oh no. They were desperate. They were sincere. They were happy to kick it out of their house. You say the blessing of God ain't moving in my house. Maybe there's sin there that's stopping the effects of the blood. 
Brother Branham said, you know what one of our problems are? He said, is we're not sincere in our confession. He said, many a times people will come to the altar and get up and leave, but where's the godly sorrow? Where is the, the godly repentance? Because this age is numbed by Laodicea. Hearts are hardened by Laodicea. But when you really come under the effects of the Holy Spirit and the effects of the blood and you see the price that Jesus paid and begin to feel by the power of the Holy Spirit the transfer of your sins on Him and the Holy Spirit upon you, it brings you down low. It brings us to repentance. Brother Branham said, this is why we are not healed. It's exactly what he said. He said it's because of a lack of sincere confession. He said, I prayed for a man. And he said, the Spirit of God was present and took it off of the man. Within a couple days, he was afflicted again. Brother Branham said, how did that happen? He said, because, the, because of sin. And he said, the angel told him, this is the problem. People are not sincerely confessing their sins. That's what the angel told him. He said, we have got to come and really make our wrongs right. When we come to the altar and we pray, God, give me the Holy Ghost or forgive me. If we've done something wrong, we've got to go back and make that right. He used the example of his wife. He said, if I committed a crime on my wife and said, Lord, forgive me, God will not hear it until I go to my wife, make that right with her, then come to God and get my gift at the altar. He said, it is a lack of sincere confession. And many a people are hindered, uh, hindered because they hold things in their heart and they're not willing to confess it. But if we recognize the hour that we're living, we recognize death is in the land and that we are walking on brittle, brittle threads. We need to be searching every corner of our spirit with a candle, Lord. Do I have unbelief in my life? Do I have stubbornness or selfishness in my life? Do I have jealousy? Do I have something, lust in my life that is keeping me from, from the fullness of the atonement? Do I have stubbornness in me? Do I have a rebellious spirit? Do I have a sex spirit? Search your Lord, I don't want to meet you with this in my life. I want to be sincere. I want to be honest. I know that this is the hour to receive the Holy Ghost because there will come a time we'll scream at the altar and it won't be there. Brother Branham, and when he preached uh, souls in prison now, he begins to cry out. That's when he said Moses' third pole was the death angel. Do you know that there will come a time, Brother Branham said, people will come to the altar thinking that they're getting saved and there's no salvation for them. Do you know that this is the hour of salvation? I'm not trying to put fear on you, but I'm trying to show you the hour that we're living in was shadowed by the exodus as they sat in there, ate the lamb with their shoes on their feet. And while outside of the blood, people were falling like flies. We don't want a message without the blood. We don't want a doctrine without the blood. We don't want a life without the blood. We must be covered by the blood. 
How many say, Lord, I believe in the blood. And there is our safety. That's where they applied the token in faith. Brother Branham said, apply the token in faith. Apply the token in sincerity. I want to bring us down to a close. As I stand before you and I think that God would tell Brother Branham, be more sincere. You've got to be more sincere than what you've been. That rebukes me. I mean, I feel like I could crawl under a chair somewhere. After what he gave, and we're here because of what he gave. Sacrificed his family and everything so we could be here victorious. And I think of the price. And then the spirit would come and say, listen, to go here, you've got to be more sincere. We've got to go where he went. As he was the wave chief. I'm not talking down. I'm not trying to take anything away. I'm just trying to go up higher. And I'll be the first to say, Lord, I want to be more sincere. How many would stand with me this morning and say, Lord, I want to be more sincere. You have vindicated this message by a pillar of fire. You have vindicated this more thoroughly vindicated from the time of Enoch to the present. There's never been a message sent to the earth with so much mercy, so much power, so much vindication, and just so much victory. And for us to be fanned to sleep, the death angel passed by because we sat in meetings like this and was deaf of hearing. How many message churches is the death angel going over and people are dropping like flies, going out into the world and and preaching all kinds of ways, acting all kinds of ways. It's happening right among us. But there's an elect people that believe. Just play whatever's on your heart, sis. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we bow our heads, we want to come before your throne in sincerity. Your prophet told us that there was only one place that death could not strike. And that was your word. And Lord, we know that you've sent us this message to take us out of here. You have called us out. And our only hope is the blood that was shed. Lord, I pray, Father, as these hands have went up with mine as well, Help us, dear God, to be more sincere. God, we want to search our hearts this morning. We want to search our souls, Lord. We don't want to approach this just half-heartedly. We want to come with the depths of our heart. Father, I pray, dear Lord, that as the Scripture says, search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Know my faults. If there, find if there be any wicked thing in me. Lord, may the Holy Spirit begin to move and just call out and pull it out. If there's anything in our lives, Lord, we want the leaven out. We want to be unleavened, the Word and the Word only. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that the power of the Holy Spirit will have liberty and freedom among us. I pray in Jesus Christ's name. Lord, that will gird up the loins of our minds and take a new approach, renew our vows, and rededicate our hearts. 
Lord, we want to cast out all the unbelief that is in our homes and in our lives and in our individual experience, Lord. Search us, Lord. Cleanse us. Help us be more sincere. Father, I pray, Lord, if any have sins that have been holding them back, may they confess it and be cleansed right now. May the Spirit of God send a revival of repentance and renewal and confession. Lord, may we have a a good old-fashioned house cleaning, Lord. And I'm not looking at my neighbor. I'm starting with me. I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you'll bless every hungry, sincere heart now. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. What you singing, sis? Just a second. Just as we worship here, the word has been preached. You realize that little group that was putting blood over their door was a shadow of this group right here. You realize we have the reality of the blood. And all I'm asking is that you have an altar call right in your heart this morning. You can come to the altar, but I want you to talk to God. And let's just, let's just search our lives and say, Lord, if there's anything... Anything that would hinder the Holy Spirit from flowing through my life, Lord, just expose it and I'll, I'll, I'll confess it. I'll get rid of it. I'll obey. How many say, Lord, that's my prayer? Let's just take this time and talk to God as we sing that song again. God bless you.